0: When the city itself becomes majority run by politicians who are bending to the NIMBY movement, then we have a major issue. And to be honest, I think we're going to see more and more builders start to move out of the city as it becomes harder to to, uh, do business here. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate.
1: Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I'm your host, Ben Myers, and I'm with here with my co-host, Steve Cameron. How's it going, Steve? Very good. Good to be back and excited to get this thing rolling in 2020. Let's do it. Well, before we start, I want to let everyone know that this episode is brought to you by Cameron Stevens Mortgage Capital, a leading non-bank lender based out of Toronto with offices in British Columbia and Alberta, Cameron Stevens... Focuses on mid-market development deals specializing in land, development, construction, term and bridge financing. CSMC currently has $1.5 billion of assets under management uh, of institutional and private capital. So, let's get into it. So, uh, the last podcast we did, we uh, discussed a little bit about, about our career, and I think we left off at uh, your dad got you a job and you're really just a beer jockey, so let's yeah, get into that. I don't <laughs> even know why I'm back for another one, but hey,
2: you're a failed... Major League Pitcher <laughs> with Tommy, a couple of Tommy Johns. and
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, so we have a guest today. We do. So and we have I'm excited. So. We do.
2: I think it's, uh, you know, the purpose of the first two episodes was to introduce ourselves and give a little framework, a little teaser trailer of what this podcast is going to be all about. But I think really, uh, you know, going forward, what we're excited to do is introduce our listeners to a couple key and notable people in the construction and development business in the GTA primarily. And uh, I don't even know if this guy needs it introduction, but I'll do my best to do him justice. Uh, As a good Toronto boy growing up in Forest Hill, he actually followed his degree at Forest Hill Collegiate with an honours in urban studies from the University of Toronto in 2002. But he wasn't done there, folks. The scholar followed his undergrad up with a prestigious Master's of Science in Environmental Sustainability from the University of Edinburgh in 2004. Following his studies, he had many early accomplishments, least of which was a dissertation on providing policy recommendations for the Government of Ontario on the creation of the Green Belt. He was a project coordinator at Atria Developments and acted as VP Development at Diamante Developments. His most popular achievement, however, and what we all know Mr. Matt Slutsky for, is as co-founder and co-president of BuzzBuzz Buzz Homes, Canada and America's largest marketplace for new construction homes. And let me tell you, the man is verified on Twitter with nearly 6,000 followers. Welcome to the show. We are excited to have you. Thank you for joining us, Mr. At I Slutsky. Hello, Ben. Hello, Stephen. What's going on? <sighs> how is that, uh, How was that intro for you?
0: There, there's a few little mistakes, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it all. I'll take it all. <laughs>
2: Listen, I think I fumbled over a couple of those words, but you know not to be modest that, that's a nice resume and I'm sure there's more that you didn't tell us but we're excited to get into it and uh, you know maybe if uh, you're okay with it what Ben and I did when we first got started is just sort of maybe take us back to the beginning and you know we're, we're recording in Forest Hill you grew up in Forest Hill you went to Forest Hill Collegiate but obviously since then you've accomplished quite a bit so why don't we jump right into it and you know tell us how how you how Buzz Buzz Homes came to be
0: and how you got to this point. For sure also well, first off pleasure to be here thanks very much for inviting me. Um, not born and raised in Toronto, born in Boston, lived in Boston for a little bit of my uh, upbringing okay. and then moved to Toronto. Boo uh, Red Sox. I was I was off of my first three words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Red Sox, sure. Uh, real estate's the only sport I know. I don't know a thing about any sports. I think you covered off a lot of what I did and, and kind of how I got here, but kind of the real defining moment, I would say, uh, was when I was a VP of development at Diamante, uh, working for Julie DiLorenzo. Um, it was a fantastic job and a great company, but I was overseeing a lot of, uh, working with Julie on a lot of aspects of uh, marketing at the time. Was that your first job out of college? Or no. After the master, no. Atria. I think I had some smaller jobs than Atree as a project coordinator. Uh, they did some like um, garment factory lofts, another project in Oshawa called Parkwood Residences. Yep. Um, so worked there and really kind of started on the ground and worked my way up um, before moving to, to Diamante. Um, but while I was at Diamante, I noticed that more and more people were starting to do their research for the new homes online. But most builders really had next to no online presence. They had a really crappy website usually in flash. Um, They had really poor SEO and there was no online listing for everything. What year would this be approximately? This was 2008, 2009. So the market in the US just crashed um, and the market in Canada, although it was short, uh, was not looking very good. And it was in this moment of everything not looking good where I left Diamante and, and really actually I had two options. I had two kind of plans. One was what ended up becoming BuzzBus Home, which I did. The other was I was considering starting a fund to buy distressed property in Florida. Had I gone that route, I'd probably be on a private jet at the moment. Um, <laughs> but instead, I went to the bus, bus home route. And I can't complain. It's been, it's been they a have great ride. They have great podcast sound booths on private jets, I've heard. So you know, <laughs> we
2: could have been doing it so two one.
1: I'll tell you a little story. So um, when I was working at Urban Nation, obviously, we, we had all the uh, new high-rise developments um, uh, attract, and we, and we had all the information. And, and uh, the owner had come to me and said, I would like to do a website that... Consumers can go to and use. And I said, "Well, you know, we're a research company, right? Like, it's a little bit of a conflict to have, you know, um, that type of website. It needs to be someone else running it, and then maybe we could feed them the information." So, you know, in and around that time, 2009, you came into the office, right? And I was like, a Slutsky, <laughs> what a funny name!" Because <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, uh, there was a person working in our office, and his name was Ulicky. So I thought it wouldn't be great if Slutsky met Ulicky. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever got you guys ever met, but but anyways, it was. Funny because I was, or like, if they got together and there's a Uliki Sletsky. I was crazy. <laughs> yeah, the wedding, and so it was funny. You you had, I guess, had come in to talk to to to, to Eve Lewis, and uh, and she had told me what you had planned, and and I was like, ah, I don't think that's gonna work. That <laughs> so just tells you how how great of a uh, online entrepreneur that I uh, that I am. But
0: uh, it was obviously... a totally different market at the time. Yeah. Again, there was nobody doing it, so it was. To me, it was quite obvious. I mean, I was in it. I was, we were spending fortunes on, you know, back then Toronto Star for a full page ad in the Toronto Star was $40,000 for one page colored full page colored. star. Globe and Mail, I think was $24,000 for one page. Um, And that was with, with a year long weekly marketing plan with them. Obviously, the prices have come down quite a bit since then but (laughs) there's still a real
1: estate section no they do
2: and they're still relatively expensive actually we've looked into it on you know one-off basis to be in the you know the toronto real estate or uh toronto star real estate section on the on a saturday
0: it's not cheap no and and the the big issue was you were able to hit a lot of people because people were still reading the newspapers back then but people were only finding out what was being advertised at the time so what my plan was in in Buzz Buzz home was a listing of everything. So whether you were a client of mine or not, and obviously when we started, I had zero clients. Um, we listed everything possible that we knew about, and that meant that if you were looking at Project A and that Project B was launching right next door, you'd get to you see could it actually find house. out about it. And, and to this from then to this day, our mission remained the same: is to create the best new home purchasing experience online. And I, again, no, I know this is not a advertisement for BuzzBuzz Buzz home, so I'll stop there. But that was really the defining moment where I decided to leave Diamante. W- was knowing that there was this thing at the time Zillow was launching in the U S or that had launched and was doing well. And they were mainly resale sale and rentals, but there was nobody in North America doing a new construction play. Now was your,
2: was, was your idea when you started to cater to the end user, to the buyer, or was your, because now BuzzBuzz and and even in my business has provided tons of value in terms of researching projects, new projects, existing past projects that have been either, you know, completed or failed. Um, did you have that foresight to say, you know, down the road, there's going to be a, you know, a couple of financiers at different banks that are going to use this platform to do business development or, you know, obviously the, the platform's accelerated into many other avenues as well, but was it primarily just as a consumer buying my first home or upgrading to my second family home? You know, I want that, that individual purchaser to have all the options at
0: their fingertips. So our, our mission, and it still is, is hitting end user's investors, realtors. We know that a lot of industry uses our site, but we don't we don't create anything on our site geared towards the actual industry. Uh, the industry uses it, but our goal is always creating the best new home information for the actual purchaser themselves. But your paying clients are... Our paying clients are the, builders are the builders who advertise on our site. Those are our main clients. We do have other revenue models that do support the industry and we do have banks that buy our data, you know, big data play. But th- that's kind of secondary to the mission of creating the best new home purchasing experience
1: i guess my question would be is is when when you were trying to get those first clients what did they think of the fact that you you're advertising their project but Someone's going to see that their neighbor's project right there, even though they're not doing any advertising. What, what was the, I guess, kind of the feedback from uh, uh, from you at the time when when people would, might ask that question?
0: That was never really an issue. Yeah. The bigger issue is, and, and it was kind of going back to what you were talking about, is one of the reasons why people give Urbanation information is because it's B two B. So they know they might be giving you all the information, or they might be giving Urbanation all the information on pricing on. Uh, what's sold, what's not sold, but they know that it's staying within the industry. It's not going to the public. Whereas BuzzBuzz Home is going to the public. And as I'm sure you know, more so back then than now, because BuzzBuzz Home really brought a lot of transparency to the market, every builder says they're 80% sold. Every builder says they're 90% sold, (laughs) even when they're 2% sold. Um, So, you know, actually actually getting that information... and that's totally changed now. A lot of things have changed because of what we launched. And a lot of it has to do with transparency. So we, whether you're a client or not, we put your floor plans and pricing up. When BuzzBus Home launched, the idea of giving pricing to an end user was completely unthought of. You needed, you did your marketing to so get people's attention, get them into the sales center.
2: So was your was your original tactic to go to the sales centers, get the brochure, get the price list, then go back
0: and upload that all online and then put that for the public? Was that Was that your... That we still do that. I mean, we t- we employ a team of researchers, and their job is literally going to sales centers, calling sales centers, and g- gathering this information. It's so
2: interesting. So in our business, we do obviously on every project we look at before we finance something, we you know take a look at the end value, and we take a look at you know individual unit prices, and we have a lot of online resources, so we can go online and sit at our computer desks, but. There's a lot of, uh, I'd say, vets in the industry and they tell stories, you know, of the old days, the good old days where they, you know, their market research was they'd get in their car, they'd drive out to Pickering, there'd be four sales centers within a five kilometer radius and they'd go to each one and they'd pretend that they were a consumer. They might take their wife or their female colleague or male colleague and go in and say, we're interested in a home and get the actual, that's how they did their market research. Builders and and you builders know, you still get, do that.
0: Builders pardon? still do that because they want exact, exact real time. BuzzBuzz Home, it, we have a system where builders can give us feeds. So a lot of big builders get, have we have a feed. So any we have real time information on their projects. But a lot of builders don't have that capability. I mean, you're talking about billion dollar companies that still run their entire sales. Numbers on basic Excel sheets. And so they're not able to actually feed us. So builders still will go and drive around the sales centers and find the floor plans, find the pricing. So that's a cool. but great. I've got a funny story for you. I once, I used to do that. That was part <laughs> yeah. of what I did. Uh, and I actually, for a, for a client of mine, purchased a condo. For a client, you purchased a condo. I purchased a condo Under your at own a luxury name? Uh, development. Yeah. Uh, in order to get the pricing, the condo docs and their APS. So we could snoop everything. Uh, <laughs> now in Ontario, you can rescind in 10 days. So there's was no big deal. Uh, I was able to rescind and we were able to see their condo docs in those 10 days, except my realtor forgot to rescind. And uh, I was stuck with a multi-million dollar condo. So <laughs> uh, now Matt's uh, raising his family in a <laughs> <laughs> luxury condo. No, man, New I, York I actually had to go back to the lawyer who I'd worked with uh, in the past and say, listen, I, uh, here's what I did. <laughs> I need to get out of this. Uh, <laughs> and at the time, that's luckily, crazy. he let me out of the deal. That's great. That said, I mean, that's going back 15 years ago what an investment that would have been if we couldn't get out of that. I would, we would have, that, was, have the, uh, really that would have been the best mistake you ever made in <laughs> yeah. your entire career. I love
1: it. I mean, it's not, I mean, awesome. Just, you know, you were, you are mentioning that you, you know, sell information to banks and I also purchase the information and I use it in my, my consulting and it's, you know, invaluable in terms of, uh, you know, creating this big data set now that I have two years worth of information is just amazing. And now that I'm, I have this you know, data visualization software and just trying to figure out more than I can do with the information and different ways that I can, they can cut it up. So I think that's just, you know, absolutely fabulous. Obviously, you know, having a data background and, uh, and knowing how difficult it is to, to get accurate information. I think I, the story I tell pretty, pretty frequently is, you know, back in my, in my, uh, uh, data collection days there was um you know uh, I got the numbers in from the developer for one site and then got them in for the other site and and um from from the broker and so I ran into the developer at the coffee shop and said oh congratulations you know like 70% sold in three months that's amazing he's like nah we're about 50% sold I'm like oh really? The broker just sent me the numbers and uh, he said it was 50. Mm, interesting. And, uh, and so that was like the most, you know, that's like the most frustrating part of, of, of the business is, is not getting accurate information. And I think even we had a few discussions about it back in the day about fake numbers being thrown around. Right. And it, it, it's, it's almost sometimes you, you, it's like, what can you, can you even trust any of the sales information? Right. So nope. for, for me, for me, I go off, I go off of pricing. All right, I go off of what's being planned at that that development, and then I use a lot of your information to see just what are people clicking on, what are people looking at, what are uh, what do people want to buy. So, but the one question I did want to ask is, you did a partnership with a company called Think Data, and I just wanted you to, and I haven't even asked you about this uh, outside the podcast. I just wanted you to tell me a little bit about what that's all about.
0: Yeah, so I actually don't know that much about that <laughs> arrangement, but but it, it, essentially, as I mentioned, you know. Banks use our data. Um, we 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 do sell our data, but we don't have a sales team to sell our data. Yeah. So I think Think Data is kind of an amalgamator of a bunch of different data sources. People can go to their site and actually pick different aspects of what they're going to purchase, um, which then comes back to us. So so it's a way of of reselling our information. Interesting. Who would your uh, competitors be? Do you have any or. Are you,
2: we use it, you know, for market research internally, when we're doing any underwriting, we're using RealNet. Sometimes uh, out West, um, there's, a, there's a competitor to them that's primarily at West and sort of moving into Ontario. Uh, CoStar for more on the
0: commercial properties. Do you look at any of those yeah, groups so as competitors? Again, those are more not really- on the B2B side, which again, we do dabble in it. And we do seller information, but that's not our main revenue source. Our main competitors are, one, still... The newspapers. I mean, people are still advertising in the newspapers and we like to take as much of their marketing spend as we can. And then the other is big players out there. You know, in Canada, there's not that many big players, but we're in in the U.S. as well. And you have companies like Zillow. They're they're a $10 billion company um, and they focus on resale and rentals, but they do also touch new construction. So we always have to keep our eyes on um, those big fish down south. In in terms of down south, because
2: I was surprised actually last night, I was looking just kind of snooping around and uh did a little googling and I just googled buzzbuzz Buzz homes just to see what came up and the number one uh, ad says America's largest Da-da-da-da-da. I was interested that that so you guys primarily focused in in the US it didn't even mention Canada
0: Yeah so we, we, What's we the do have um well I don't think there's actually a reason why why we wouldn't mention Canada I mean, it might just be an ad that you some that you saw somewhere but it, it was literally the first the, the
2: first result on Google uh, huh. said uh, said America's largest marketplace
0: for new construction homes. Huh. Well, we are. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we, we have the most listings uh, from last time we, we looked. Um, and we also have the most up to date information. I mean, the, the, part of it is the number of listings That's important. But really, what's important is how up to date is your information and how fresh is your data and how um, complete is your information? And that's where we really pride ourselves. And we don't think that anybody um, can really touch our quality of information locally or internationally uh, in the North American market. We do, we are more structured towards urban, urban and suburban dwellings, not so much the more rural stuff, uh, but that is something that we're going to be working more on, uh, on, more on the low rise side. Um, So there are competitors in the US, but they might be more, there's nobody in the urban space like we are they're more kind of in the rural low rise sphere.
1: The one thing I did notice that you did, um, over the last, I don't know, maybe it was six months is you've had a couple of projects, put their prices on your website before they've even launched to the public. And I thought that was an interesting thing. And I've been, I've been trying to get developers to do this, right? So before they even launch, put, their their floor plans up on your site and then gauge the interest in those those floor plans right or even put some like teaser prices up before they even launch to get an idea of of where they could potentially you know increase prices or decrease prices to to get the level of absorption that they want i guess you know i mean it's a it's a good problem to have is is so many sites sell 50 60 percent of their units in three months so they don't really know uh very well where they could have captured more value and Yeah, in the I process. think what
0: you're talking about, uh, I, I might be wrong, but a lot of it is kind of around the pre-launch VIP pricing. And that's something that there's no b- doubt builders don't like us showing. We, we always run into issues where builders are our clients, but our goal is to create the best new home purchasing experience. And that often is in conflict with what the builder right. wants. Right. So it, it started again, when we sh- first started showing floor plans, we were getting, you know, threatened to be sued left, right and center. You know, you have no right to display floor plans. Um, and then we started displaying pricing and it was a whole nother big thing. So are you getting yeah. your clients who are, your paying customers calling
2: you saying, get my floor plans off your website, yeah. get my pricing off your website. I mean, that must be tough for you because obviously you need them as you, you know, they're your clients. It's your source of revenue. Correct. But it is
0: our goal to create the best new purchasing experience. So we try and show as much information as possible. And one of those things... It must be in the contract though that they signed that... that they, we. It is open information. Right. I mean, it, it, we, we display open information. Yeah. We collect it. Um, but the, the pre-launch VIP pricing, and that's when builders launch via to the VIP realtors or the platinum realtors, uh, we'll get that information up before the builder even launches. Because it, reality is, in a lot of cases, the builder sells out before ever going to the public. They sell out in this VIP stage. Um, and people want to know what, what things are being listed for. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a few times, obviously, I contact Leslie at your office and send her some price lists. And she's like, yeah, we got it. But the developer told us to take it down, which just gets me so angry, right? I'm like, people in in this this day and age, you got to be forthcoming, right? Like people think, oh, if I just get them to the sales office, and they'll get I'll get them to buy something that they can't afford, right? Or just have this magical experience. The other side of that is the big
0: data play, as you were mentioning, if you get that information up, You can start seeing, are your leads for two bedrooms, for one bedroom, for what uh, square footage are leads coming in for? So you can actually start to see how people are interacting with your data and make better decisions. From that and with real time information, rather than waiting for people to come into your sales center if they even make it to your
1: sales center. Yeah. So obviously, like I mentioned, I use your 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 data in my consulting, and people say, "Well, how accurate is it in comparison to you know what's happening on the sales side?" So there was a project in Ottawa uh, that I was doing, and it had every single unit in the building that was leased, and and then I took your information and and looked at the page view. So what units people were looking at? It was almost exact in terms of the units that people were clicking on on your website and how quickly they leased up it was only one unit where it didn't match up where it was it wasn't leasing up well but it was getting lots of hits on your website so it's kind of amazing to have that you know be able to compare across the two to, to see what's happening and, it, and it's I try not to use ones that don't have pricing because people will always say oh I want 800 square feet not you know that's 1200 bucks a foot right like you can't afford 800 square feet right but uh, once it has the prices on it then it gives people a better idea they're not just going to go start looking at you know ones that they can't afford occasionally they'll They'll go to that twenty-five million-dollar penthouse, or they're twenty. They do a little bit of tire kicking, but otherwise, they're they're going back multiple times to look at the floor plan that they want to buy, right? And, and uh, over several different projects. So, I mean, I think that's just so powerful, and you know, I just keep wanting to, <laughs> you know, make that point. So there of, it is. Of, we are hearing it live from Ben this. Myers. <laughs> Buzz, Buzz, info is accurate. That's all we need to know. Yeah. yeah. So. Best salesman out there for you guys. So, so maybe, maybe we should shift to just talk a little bit about the market and yeah, kind of definitely. the things that you've you've seen over, uh, I guess, the 10 years that you've been at BuzzBuzz uh, Buzz Home and the, kind of the changes in the marketplace. Uh, I don't know if you have any just high level commentary that you wanted to, to, to share. Something's burning. burning so it's the start out, of 2020.
2: You know? You've had some time to reflect on 2019. You see a lot, you talk to a lot of developers.
0: If what's what's going
2: to happen in 2020 if you had to, yeah. if you had, if you had the crystal ball in front of you,
0: where, I don't the crystal going? Ball, but you know, if you look back at the last few years, we, we had a really strong market up until about 2017, at which time the number of launch and I'm, I'm talking really just Toronto here, Southern Ontario here, the number of launches really decreased. There were still sales, but the number of launches really decreased. Um, and that really, that, that sta- stayed until fall of 2019. So until the fall of last year, last fall we saw a lot of launches again. It's the first time in a really long time that I've seen like kind of a really full schedule of launches. But what's happening now is the buildings that we're seeing. Are you, are you selling, talking? Sorry, just to interrupt you, just for everyone. Are you talking primarily condo high rise? Talk, co- yeah, I'm talking you, condo high rise. Okay. Yeah, low rise side right now is completely different. I mean, con, condo high rise right now. Yeah, yeah. Um so what, what happened what we're seeing right now, and I think we're gonna see in the next year or two from the boom of 20, let's say 14 to 17. Those projects are going to be completing in the next to, few years. Coming to market. Come, well, they came to market. Yeah, they're going to be completing and being occupied, which I think is going to be very interesting. you right. Correct. So I think there's, we're going to see a lot of product hitting the market from investors uh, starting to resell their units or assign their units to investors holding onto their units and actually starting to rent them out. We're going to see a large uh, supply there. And then we're going to see this kind of nothing for the next two years, I'd say, until the launches that started in this fall start to actually complete. So we're going to see this really interesting timing where there's going to be a lot selling because the market is hot again, and there's a lot of launches. There's going to be a lot completing. So those two will be kind of fighting against each other on the resale versus new construction side, and then kind of a lull for a few years. So what's that lull going to do, in your opinion, to the market of the the new launches that are taking place uh, coming up? I I think we're going to start... We're still going to see prices increasing. I mean, we're at a really high point right now. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I think kind of Southern Ontario, Ben, you might know my numbers better, (laughs) is kind of the high nines to a 1,000 square foot Kind of four one six is more kind of probably closer to twelve hundred to thirteen hundred a square yeah, foot. Yeah,
1: you're looking in the uh, you know the entertainment district right downtown. It's uh, you know thirteen hundred to fourteen hundred bucks a foot. Just unbelievable pricing. You get into Yorkville, it's two thousand bucks a foot, and then obviously it slowly gets lower the farther you get out on the east side and the west side. But a waterfront's a thousand bucks a foot. Parkdale's a thousand dollars a foot. You've got but you got North York City to, Center at a thousand dollars a foot. Right. There was this, like,
0: There was a few years where it was kind of stuck at 750 and then overnight it just bounced up to a thousand square foot and hasn't really stopped since then yeah i was... think we're going to start to see prices start to plateau a bit again they're still going to be increasing but I always actually it's a
2: conversation we have internally like what is the plateau number because we thought it was maybe 1150 a foot and then we thought maybe 1250 and now we're <laughs> seeing stuff you know small uh 450 hundred square feet units selling at 1400 bucks because it's affordable you know you get a bachelor pad maybe that's a one bed like it's a tight one bed but 1450 all of a sudden seems uh, yeah. very but I, was realistic. Saying, I, I don't know
1: if it's affordable it's, it's just investors want well, affordable obviously investors deterred, just want right? to get into the, the the project right so they just want to buy something and that's the cheapest thing they're going to buy right and uh, and so yeah page views on buzz buzz home for anything under 500 square feet just skyrocketed over the last year So because you know, the values have gone up so much, right? And 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 obviously there's
2: the consumers looking. Yeah, and
1: obviously there's the discussion happening. There was, you know, recent articles about, you know, what people are paying now and what they would be required to be cash flow positive (laughs) if uh, they're an investor. And, you know, it requires, you know, ridiculous rent growth over the next few years to to, to, to get to those levels. As
0: we start to see this increase in supply, I think the rent is going to start to even out more. So that, and that's why I think we're going to start to see this bit of plateau in the pricing where it's not, skyrocket it's not really jumping i think it probably in a few years we'll see it jump again um as demand pents up but I think prices are probably going to plateau a bit as more product comes on the market as rental. Yeah. That's it's, it's it's so hard to forecast, right? Like you had a oh, yeah. long period. I should of- mention that I am not a real estate economist <laughs> by trade, whereas Ben is. So, so this is just me looking at our numbers and kind of. Uh, yeah, I know. It's kind of interesting how, like you know,
1: condo rents were going up in the, uh, you know, kind of 3 to 5% range pretty consistently for a few different years. And then the stress test came in kind of pushed people down into the rental market, people that wanted to buy, couldn't buy. And then in, you know, when I was running numbers in in 2018, we were seeing condo rents in, in a specific building going up 15, 20% in a single year. But that has, that has calmed down now. Like the CMHC numbers actually were released this morning. We're, we're you know, what day is today? January 15th. They were recording this, this podcast and purpose-built rentals were up 6% year over year and condo rents were up. 4, I think 4.5 or 4.3% year over year so lower than the, than the purpose built rents which is which is kind of shocking and obviously I do analysis for rentals.ca and it was basically showing, showing the same thing just for you know for vacant units that uh, much higher appreciation for the purpose built rental apartments as opposed to the uh uh to the, the condo rent so it'll be interesting to see how investors coming on expecting to uh you know to rent a unit at 450 or 475 uh if they they get resistance to some of those numbers or you know that two bedroom they thought they were going to lease to a couple, you know, now they're leasing it to two couples, I'm interested, right? Or that yeah. studio they thought they were going to, re- to lease to a recent graduate. It's like, oh, now I'm now I'm leasing it to a 235-year-old couple and living in 450 square feet because they just want access to the city, right? I'm very
2: interested to see as well how the condo market is affected by the recent excitement about what everyone calls PBRs, right? The purpose bill rental market has, in my opinion, the last three years, blown up. It's gone crazy. Everyone has looked at every project and every site they own. They said, should we do condo? Should we do rental? They launch it as a condo. They decide maybe not, not to go through with the sales and then they turn it back into a rental. And coming back to your comment about things potentially you know, a little lull in the system, because there wasn't a lot of launches and because people were maybe a little bit, you know, gun shy on launching projects. Some projects or actually quite a few projects were launched as purpose bill rentals. So in my opinion, I think there's going to be quite a few new rental projects uh, coming on where if you look back at sort of 13 to 15, no one was building rental. It was was all condo. Prices were going bonkers. And you know no one even thought about it and then oh you know we we got into a point where we said hey maybe this is the best way to do it maybe it's a long term hold maybe we partner with you know either a pension fund or a REIT or a life co and we do this deal and you know it's a long term asset that we're going to keep in our portfolio so i'm excited and interested to see you know, how that affects um,
1: in, in terms of con- In terms of clients on, on the rental side, are you getting many, you know, new rental developers, you know, wanting to advertise on the site?
0: Yeah, we have a, a handful, but our, the condo, the actual sales side is, is way more powerful for us in Ontario, yeah. actually in Canada. In places like New York, it's more kind of on the rental side. Interesting. Uh, we, we actually launched the rental side of new construction. Because of the New York market uh, going into the new, market, new York market, because so much new construction there was rental compared to as you mentioned in Toronto. At the when time when was one. that? Would have, when
2: was that? When you when would have you entered New York market? Probably about
0: five years ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting
2: what's going on in New York right now in terms of the high rise and the scale and scope and size of those projects. Yeah, and, I mean, you I'm- know, we're, it, it's terrifying as a as a Toronto or a Canadian lender, you know, we're so used to what we call pre-sales. Everyone knows about pre-sales. You don't start building, you can't get financing until you have 75, 65, 75% sales. You go you go down to New York and they're building Two thousand unit condos with maybe fifteen percent pre-sales, maybe, <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they, they,
0: get, they can get financing on their performer. I get I mean, fina-
2: they- and they get it overnight, and there's a line up at the door for you know financiers to, to give them money. There's traditional debt, there's senior debt, there's mezz debt, and oh, you know the capital, capital s- stack. The capital
1: stack it, has like twenty people in it. The capital, <laughs> the capital stack
2: is so interesting. I was down there, and you know we thought maybe we'd be conservative and move into the states and do uh, you know maybe one hundred and fifty million dollars of lending in the U.S. and get started. You know maybe do. 10 15 deals, maybe 20 deals with 150 million. The first meeting I went into, the guys said, Oh, you have 150 million dollars of meds, perfect. I have the deal for you, <laughs> it's ready to go. You're going to be behind 700 million dollars of senior debt, you're going to be at 90 percent of total costs. And I was sort of thought to myself, Okay, maybe maybe Manhattan
1: isn't the place to
2: start. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. I mean, I, I I, my worst fear is we move towards like the New York Boston model, right? Where we have only have a few projects and they're like super mega projects, right? Like they don't start selling till the building is like 10 stories out of the ground and they only release like a hundred units. And then the building's like 98 stories tall and it's just the, the, all institutional investors and family offices from the UK. And or all yeah, it's all are, for it's all foreign it's capital all, that came
2: in and said, it, there's no way that we can fail here. We're going to pump some money into this market because it's, you know, it, it's so safe. It's guaranteed that we're going to Make money on this, but, but they're uneducated. It's uneducated capital coming into a very, you know,
0: it, the market is not but because of the difference. Nobody does hype like Toronto does. If you look across North America, nobody does what hype like nobody right. can hype a project. I mean, you've got right now bunch of realtors in Miami with Pharrell Williams for the launch of a project. I mean, (laughs) we, we can do hype like nobody can do hype. And sure, we don't have these huge institutional investors who are funding the creation of this, but we do have... Investors who have bought into the hype of the project, who is essentially funding that project? Yeah,
1: the, the, it drives me crazy. The uh, some of I don't want to label people, but some of these progressives that think that if there was were no investors, we'd still be selling all these units to end users. Okay, right? let, me, like- let
2: me pause you right there because this, this is this is <laughs> this is where I saw this going. You know, Ben Myers over here, five thousand followers on Twitter. Mr. Slutsky, with about six thousand, I make a tweet. I don't think anybody reads it, but you know, I I follow you guys, and you guys engage with quite a, an eclectic group of individuals, and and a lot of them are you know I don't want to call them haters, but there is you know you use the word progressive, and there is this huge, huge population in in Toronto, the GTA, southern Ontario, who are adamantly against development and are not seeing. I guess obviously what you guys are seeing, you know. Where where do we go with this? Like, how do we how do we change the narrative and how do we kind of fix the problem? Because the way that I look at it is the the biggest we you know you want to call the housing crisis. Sure, affordability is it's it's it's, it's terrifying. You know, for the, you have you guys both have young children and prices are out of control. How do you buy a home if you're graduating university right now and your starting salary is eighty thousand dollars and you can't get into a, a new home in the GTA for under you know a million one 000, 000 now? It's it's scary. So we have to fix this affordability problem. in my and I know you guys feel the same way. Is we have to create supply. If we had more supply, we had more density. If we had more density on on the major <laughs> on the major streets, major avenues. We could probably you know solve a bit of that problem. But you know the pushback that I see you guys get from some of these.
0: We, we, well, we, I wouldn't even I say that, I mean, it. Yeah. I think Ben deals with, with that a lot more than I do because <laughs> uh, I actually online try to stay pretty. Again, I'm not an economist, so I, I prefer to talk about my dog or. Uh, Or uh, what I had for lunch. Shout
1: out to schnitzel. (laughs) Shout Shout out to schnitzel. (laughs) Schnitzel
0: for lunch and for as a dog. Um, But the reality is, because I am also on the development side, we have city councillors. Right now, um, Josh Matlow, who's actually the councillor in the writing that we're in, is against lane closures for new construction. You know, he puts out, he goes on tirades against builders who put out A-frames to help sell product. When the city itself becomes majority run by politicians who are bending to the NIMBY movement, then we have a major issue. And to be honest, I think we're going to see more and more builders start to move out of the city as it becomes harder to to uh, do business here, and it it will crumple the city. I mean, we you do need supply, and I don't think that a lot of these people online who are fighting more with Ben than me um, are wrong. I mean, (laughs) you also need government. Ben told told me
2: his 2020 resolution was to stop arguing with NIMBYs online. But I saw him January
0: 2nd just engaged all day. I think there's a difference between people saying you can't build anything anywhere and that's going to solve the problem. I, I do think you need governments who who assist in this and build uh, housing and, and help with that, but you also do need a lot of supply. Like we need a lot of housing in Toronto, and the more housing we create can allow for better pricing. I mean, if, if there's more supply,
2: the I always w- say the, sa- the same thing it's like simple economics supply and demand right if supply goes up and or if demand is up and the supply is there then everything's going to be in, in equilibrium but we don't have an equilibrium between supply and demand so how do we create the supply to keep up with the demand it, it's simple 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 look at immigration right like look at the major cities in a, a, I was in Vancouver they're saying anywhere from you know seventy thousand people moving to that city on an annual basis. Here are you know I see different stats. Ben, you maybe be yeah, able to speak CMHC, this. Is it one hundred and forty thousand? people. Just came
1: out, yeah, with their their forecast for next year, and their you know government mm. organization generally conservative in their in any of their forecasts. They're they're talking about one hundred and forty thousand. One hundred and forty. Uh, it's a number I heard too. In the, in the, in the so Trump's where are we so. putting these people? Yeah, that's the and problem, it, and that's the thing. I mean, it, people think that they're like independent, right? There's like one hundred and forty thousand people here, and there's housing supply here, and they're completely different. But you know you need new housing to to get those people or you have more young people living at home as you know, if you look at the Statistics Canada uh, census data, Toronto has more like young adults living with their parents in any other major city so that's obviously a sign of of undersupply and obviously you know pricing and rents going up that just shows you that it's that it's undersupply but we need to keep you we need to keep adding uh um um, units but the problem is you you mentioned the nimbys on fighting against it for reasons saying you know you know part you know we don't want it because of shadows we don't want it because of of uh, uh the roads and congestion we don't want it because we don't have enough schools we don't want it because it's traffic and you know just they have all the things but then there's on the other side the people that are not affluent and could never afford something and they say well we you're going to knock down this plaza that has a mcdonald's and the mcdonald's the cheapest restaurant that i go to so i don't i don't want that or i don't want people moving into my neighborhood that are affluent and they're going to gentrify my neighborhood so you're getting it on both sides of it right so from rich people who want to stay rich and poor people who think well the rich people are going to come in and make it not affordable in in my community right so it's so it's a it's a it's a it's a hard battle And, and people drive down the gardener and they see all the cranes and they say well look look we've got we have we the have units of that, supply, you, yeah. that you need right but it's, you know, also,
0: it's also you know there's also a lot of room to increase density in the city it's not just high rise and, and that's also another issue is sure the high rise is one side but there's the entire kind of yellow belt as it was kind of been called in Toronto or maybe North. I don't even know where that, I think it was termed here, but it yeah, could it be was Gil,
1: belt. Gil Meslin, who was like a planner, I believe yeah. that kind of coined the term. Cause that's what it looks like on the planning map. That, really and that's the color. truth though. I
0: mean, you've got Toronto's a city of low rise neighborhoods. Sure. We've got pockets of high rise projects, but even in downtown Toronto, a two-minute walk from downtown Toronto, you have low-rise neighborhoods. Like that could be densified. And that should be densified. And that's where a lot of this new stock of housing should be coming from. Not just condos and high rises, but it's kind of across the board that that Toronto needs to look at how it's functioning. And our transit system sucks. I mean, reality is our subway system is not adequate. It's not a it's not a network. It's a like, I don't even know the line numbers anymore, but it's a bunch of lines that meet up in weird places that can't handle the population. So I think to really get increased density, you need better transportation and increased density along those transportation routes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy that we have, uh, there's subway stops you get off and then there's a single family home, like right there. Clint there's Karen. just so
0: many of those. Clint Every- Karen right. is like, has like 60 foot lots surrounding it with like <laughs> single family houses. Like is, you're like one block North of Hill Have you yeah. ever been to the Danforth? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever been? So we have two
2: again saying we have three lines, right? We have the university line, the young line, and then the bluer dam, fourth line. You go and you get off any stop basically east of Broadview, every single how everything is is two, maybe three stories. And I look at it and I walked up and down the Danforth last weekend and I said, this isn't crazy. This is crazy. We have, we do we do have some infrastructure. It's just completely under underutilized. Yeah. Like, why is there not a tower at every single subway stop along, along the Danforth? Explain that to me. It makes no sense. And then you go through those neighborhoods, you know, during the election, tons of signs about anti-development. Do not put it in my backyard. I don't want density here. You know, don't. Don't change, you know, the the, his, the history, don't change the mom and pop shop. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll that, that
1: to me seems like, you know, step one. And I'll tell you a funny story. So I had a client and he, uh, he built a shopper's drug mart on the Danforth. And the other funny thing is, is there was a funeral home beside it and the funeral home kind of had an ornate door and they're like, yeah, we want you to save that. And he's like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, we think that's heritage. We want you to save that. So in the shopper's drug mart, the shopper's drug mart, and then there's like some uh, right beside it. It's not even a functioning door anymore. It's just this ornate, uh, that used to be a funeral home door. It's the strangest thing ever, but just shows you how heritage and and all that is just this, just trying to d- disturb the market. But anyways, he said, I'm going to build this and you know, maybe, you know, uh, 15 years down the line, I'll build, you know, a 20 story tower. And the counselor stood up from her seat and said, pointed at him and said, this, it will never. Be a high-rise site. Wow. Yeah. And just then he was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like 20 years down the line, like things can change, right? And he's like, no, Danforth is low-rise, and that's all it will ever be, right? So it's just it's 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 kind of crazy. It's unfortunate, right? I did a you know so yesterday yeah. I did a guest lecture at at Schulich Business School, and and you know I'm doing my presentation, doing my presentation, and and no one's asking any questions, all right? Like everyone's just kind of mm. just undergrad oh, God, or, is this or is this the MBA program? Uh, is the uh, undergrads, okay. right? So a little bit younger crowd, and and then finally someone like little squeaky puts their hand up and like uh, <laughs> these prices are really high when is this going to end <laughs> and that's the first question that's like uh, it's not you know as much as as much as high um you know I, I i like the direction that that you know housing now is going and and, and tory is, is is put these sites out there to add affordable housing and, and a mix of housing but again those are being fought you know tooth and nail by the nimbys and even some of the counselors where the where those sites are because it's you know too tall and too dense and shadows and oh there's going to be uh you know less affluent people moving into my neighborhood and what's that going to do to my my property values and then you know i, I see the move you know we'll, we'll make these little tiny steps we'll get uh, you know the the laneway suites and great you know fantastic <laughs> like but like 50, not, 50 that's, units yeah, that's we 50 need units. like we need like 50,000 units in the gta yeah. to satisfy demand well if you right have 140,000 right?
2: people moving a year and you assume you know three per household or just under three per household that's 50,000
0: a year that's 50,000 new okay. construction units okay. Twenty twenty, they're expecting about thirty thousand completions on the high rise. Not side. enough. Is yeah, it,
1: uh in, in other than twenty fifteen, every single year. Yeah, you know, obviously, I was in in the business of making those projections every single year and we never in in, in other than 2015 every year was was low it never hit the, the target that that was anticipated so so all the you know the uh, clickbait websites and you know which ones i'm talking about will put all 30,000 completions next year and what's that gonna do to the market investors are gonna sell it mass and it's gonna cause a crash <laughs> to the industry it's basically they just like copy and paste the same article they did like every 10 years and then it's like Oh all these people share 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 like 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 I mean that's that's the worst part about social media you look at something from a legit like a Will Dunning a uh, 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 Peter Norman like a, a a responsible um you know long tracked economist he'll he'll write something no likes some clickbait headline 30 likes yeah. 40 likes yeah. shared 100 times and you just like just it makes me want to just you know, strangle my computer. Well, I, I don't if, know if you can if strangle if a computer. If you but don't follow Ben on strangle.
2: on uh, Twitter, I highly recommend it because you'll hear and see and read exactly what he's talking about. <laughs>
1: so, that's, so that's the great great part now about being in business for yourself. I have to hold. I I don't have to hold anything back. Right. So and you know, I I don't think I've ever had a client say, Ben, that was not very nice thing you said to that uh, young <laughs> young lady on Twitter. Uh, you know, they're so, they're like, oh, we love that. <laughs> so so let me
2: ask let me, let me ask another question. So what you know, as an industry. Can we do to to I, I kind of mentioned before, but change an area? How do we how do we influence city council? How do we you know I I know I've met with uh, John Tory a few times. He's he is pro development. I think if you talk to you know the Ford government, whatever you think about it, they are generally pro development um, and, and growth and creating this housing supply. But one conversation here and there isn't going to change anything. You know what, what do we need to do, Matt, in your, from your perspective to to help things move forward and continue because Toronto is a great city you know it's a safe city it's a beautiful city we have a lot to offer obviously 140,000 people would want to move here on an annual basis if it wasn't a fantastic place to live right so I mean as much as we're kind of you know there are there are some negatives and some you know things that we're working on but how do we fix this how do we keep you know changing the narrative and, and working towards a better transit system less traffic more housing? Is it?
0: Is it on the low-rise side? Is it high-rise? We haven't talked much about low-rise, yeah, but I, maybe I you can touch it, on that as well. I'd say low-rise within the city is really important. Again, as I mentioned, the missing middle. I think we have to start intensifying our current neighborhoods, and, and I really think that's a key to increasing increasing the amount of product coming to the city. I don't think that's the only answer. I think that there's tons of answers. We need listen. We need more high-rises. We do. We need more. There's a lot of cranes right now, but we need more of them, and we need builders to not have to fight 60 years to actually get these projects going we need a system that can allow them so, to get. So stick approvals. on that so stick on that
2: so the six-year approval process everybody says it i was in vancouver everybody says the same thing you buy a site they're they're eight years potentially i mean how do you care you you know you're buying sites at 200 dollars plus per buildable square foot right now you know that is huge numbers if you don't have cash to put in that you're boring debt and you're born debt and you're financing that you're taking it's a ticking time bomb you're loving it though <laughs> I am and I'm not you know at the same time I mean I'd like every I'd like an approval process to be a year and a half you know you buy a site you go through the entitlement process you know you can get things done in two years and you move forward you build the project and you get your money back I mean from a lending perspective the whole idea is to, to lend someone money have it perform on time on budget and then you know recycle the capital back to them into their next project but mm-hmm. why is it six years? Yeah. Why
0: is it five years? Why is it seven years? Like, how do we how, put, do we how do we fix your, this? Put
1: your developer's hat back on. I know it's been ten years, but talk to me about this.
0: On, uh, listen, I, I think we I think there has to be a lot of work in changing public perception of what's going on, and the 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 population, the residents of the city need to be able to buy into it as well. Again, when it, when a development is really a lot of being mandated by city councilors who are have to bow to a lot of this Nimbiam. NIMBY is a movement. It it grinds the gears and it slows things down. People need to understand how the city can function better with development, how the city can function better with more intensity, how the the avenues can become better. I mean, listen, I I used to live on St. Clair and now I've moved up closer to Eglinton. I miss the vibrancy. There's something to embrace about that amazing vibrancy of a more dense environment. Do we need to? Do, do the local councillors have too much power?
2: Obviously, they're very reliant on their on their uh, on their voters to get back into power.
0: Have we given them? Is, I think there there, too much power there. I think that what's been happening like has been a lot of change, and it's, so I think it's hard to say. But I think the OMB system worked really well in the past. I mean, it was it was a really strong system that put everybody kind of in place and allowed it allowed city councillors. To kind of fight for the residents, knowing that the OMB was going to come in and they could kind of negotiate deals better that way. So I really think the OMB system- Talk to me
2: a bit about the OMB. You might have some listeners who might not necessarily know what that is. Maybe talk about the change from the OMB to LPAT back to the OMB now. Quickly, you know, I don't have to
0: go into too deep, but I know that uh, some people might be asking, hey, what's OMB? Yeah, the, the Ontario Municipal Board. So essentially you had the province, which really mandated the municipalities- so they kind of had the final say. So they had this Ontario Municipal Board. The municipality was able to make decisions, but they could be appealed to the OMB, essentially, which brought the power back to the province. That's really it in a nutshell. Um, everything kind of changed under the wind government. There was this LPAT system. And to be honest, I'm not even clear where we are right now in the system because there are still some projects <laughs> who are stuck in the old OMB approvals process that were carried right. there, there through was Some a queue.
2: people stuck in the LPA. Right. So be- the, there was a queue that there was a there was a queue at the OMB. Folks had applied to the OMB. They were waiting for their OMB hearing and then it changed to the LPAT. The LPAT was sort of introduced as the new system, which was essentially from what I kind of understood, was similar to the OMB. And now with the Ford regime back in power, the OMB has been reinstated, but there's still like I said, a queue for the old OMB You've got to get through all the LPAT applications and then back, you know, into in, the new in, in, system. Applica- yeah, the applications are now in with the new OMB. Well, let's
1: let's bring the conversation back to kind of your level, your expertise, and 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 not that you're not an OMB expert. But, I'm not uh, at all. Hopefully we'll have some. <laughs> hopefully we'll have some planners on in the future that can can give us a little bit of insight on that. But what's what's changing in terms of marketing? What's what's different? What are the developers doing now different than maybe they were, were doing in the past that you're you're seeing from your perspective on maybe on your your site? or maybe not even on your side? Yeah,
0: I don't don't think it's it's a change, the strengthening. I think that realtors, the reliance on realtors to bring investors has really strengthened. And I think builders are right now scared to go to end users. They need to go through this kind of VIP process. They need to really woo these realtors um, to to bring purchasers over. And I think that's given realtors way more power than they've ever had. Um, So realtors could say this project's not going to do well and that project won't do well because none of the realtors will end up um how did we get to that place where it was these projects were so realtor driven you know it's always been it's always happened and builders have always been scared to go against it and it's just been strengthening and strengthening and strengthening uh until where i think we're kind of at the peak now i don't know how we could get any more realtor driven of builders builders being scared of, of, of the realtor and kind of giving them whatever they want. That's what I'm seeing. That's the biggest thing that I'm seeing yeah, right I mean, now. I see it all the time. All the projects yeah. that we're looking at are generally entirely realtor
2: driven. A lot of them are going back to there's a pool of investors. We um, get projects that don't even make it to launch, as I mentioned. Exactly.
1: They, they sell
0: out in the VIP yeah. stage. Yeah, I, think, I
1: think that's going to change, though. I think with where construction costs went over the last few years, I think developers are going to hold units back and, and, and price a, maybe a little bit more aggressively because they know they want to, you know cover themselves if there's there's any increases in the future. Um yeah, some developers couldn't get their project pull their perm- permit before the development charges went up and that just killed their pro forma, all right? And so there's still a couple of projects out there that are that are that well, are going to get Going back the to the comment about, you
2: know, turn. taking things through planning and being 6 years to get to planning and you buy your site thinking it's going to be 2 years so you budget 2 years of interest costs and all of a sudden you you know triple that cuz it's 6 years. Why do you think costs are going up? That's why costs are going up, <laughs> well, you know? You yeah. I mean, triple your financing costs.
1: It's land. That's, and your profit, that's your profit margin. Uh, there's land, and there's, you know, we sold 35,000 units in 2017, and all those went under construction in 2018, and trades had more power, right? So uh, driv- driv- drove up the cost, and obviously development charges went up as well. But uh, So what, what about, you know, like, I know we, we always tend to bring it back to kind of like our <laughs> level of extra expertise and the things that we, we like to talk about, but, you know, you know, I know they're really appealing to developers, but the brochures are still very shiny and a lot of neighborhood photos. And maybe there's less women's faces close up with lipstick, which was like the the top thing a few years ago. Like every <laughs> brochure had a, a fairly uh, attractive woman on the front. But I don't know. What do you, What do you think? Is this is this celebrity is a celebrity endorsement? Is that is that a thing? Is that going to improve the the value that a developer can get on a project? So it's Pharrell. It's doing the lobby at the. Is, is that correct? correct you
2: mentioned that yep. what project is that it's for a project called untitled at young and eglinton okay and this is sort of the second big name that came to toronto because well, i think the art shop few. had it with carl there, uh, lagerfeld yep. correct art shop
0: had it bisha had lenny kravitz um, nobu has robert de niro oh, so yeah. i mean it's not that new I, I think pharrell kind of takes it to a, a different level with the younger generation, not younger, but the current purchasing generation. is Cool yeah, Carl Lagerfeld. He's cool. Yeah, really. He sings, right? He's very cool. He's a hey, guy. He's,
2: cool. yeah, yeah, he's got okay.
1: collaborations with with Adidas, and he's got his own clothing line, music, and and he's an architect he had, too, obviously, right? You know. He must be an architect. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, Lenny Kravitz designed a few rooms at Bisha and stuff like that, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much stock an investor puts into that. What, what are you hearing? Like, what, what's the rumbling from the from the from like the brokers you're, talk, you're,
0: you're oh, talking? On to? that project, it's too early to tell. I, I think yeah. it's going to be a great project. I, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the project. I, I do I like Pharrell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, it brings kind of a, a different level of 100%. cool to a project. It, it, it Definitely, as I mentioned, we are the kings of hype in Toronto, um, and it brings hype to the project. I mean, it, it gets a lot of visibility, gets people talking. It's a it's a it's a great tool to be able to use say hey realtors come meet pharrell um it gets them on board it gets everyone on board And i, I do think it's a great project it's a great site Meet singh said he wanted pharrell to bring more affordable housing to toronto
1: though i think he commented <laughs> well <on> listen <laughs> as, commented as we just
0: mentioned it. more supply is more affordability in the long run so <laughs> exactly. he, he is doing that yes I, I think i think the marketing firms are still pushing a lot of those classic elements the the flashy brochure um What I think is going to be changing is, and we've already seen it, is sales centers don't have the same importance that they used to. I mean, there was a time, again, going back to 2017, 16, and these sales centers were like $10 million sales centers (laughs) with like VR rooms and and just the the craziest sales experiences um, or sales pavilions really out there in North America. I've never seen anything across North America like the Toronto uh, sales Sales Center center experience. And I think that's starting to be dialed back a bit. Yeah, that, that went yeah. away, but I, I have a feeling they're going to come back. Yeah, right? I think as we start hitting up, as builders hit more end users, they... End users need that. What about the, the uh,
2: virtual reality sales center? So you don't necessarily go into a a, a physical you know suite that they've recreated
0: Listen the on center. Bus Bus Home, you can actually buy units directly through Bus Bus Home. <laughs>
1: How did that go? Really? Is that Is working bottom? out
0: well? It got uh, it had great pickup. I think we were a bit too early to the market, uh, and we our initial case was in Kitchener. I and mean, It wasn't the right market but it was an incredible builder polo corp uh who's very tech forward he's an entrepreneur himself and a tech entrepreneur himself so he was able to push it through on his legal side it got again he got international pickup he got pickup across north america for it and the response that we got was a lot of it was from toronto people saying if you launch this in toronto there's no doubt we'd be buying through it but yeah you can buy online now you awesome. just buy a condo online. Uh, well, you can use your credit card as your down payment. You use your credit card for three thousand dollars down
2: payment. Okay, and then you go to your lawyer to put your your you deposit rest down. Up. Yep. Right. Wow. Huh. So, but you secure your unit with three thousand dollars. Yeah.
0: And you do all of your um, FinTrack through it. You know, you upload all your documents through the system. Um, and you know, part of it is purchasing on on line from the comfort of your home. I don't think we're at a point now where someone's going to do their entire research from BuzzBuzz Buzz home, decide on a unit and buy through BuzzBuzz Buzz home. I still think that an end user is going to want to go to a sales center, see the site, talk to the salespeople, maybe do that on four or five tires, sites and then yeah. go to the comfort of their home, potentially even with their realtor and decide on oh, is that I'm three thousand
2: dollar refundable? Yeah, the
0: ten-day
1: um, precision period. Same thing. Yeah. Right. yeah, it works the exact same. Well, I think we're running into our our time limit for this this pie. I think we could we could talk we could for, talk, all day. talk for hours. And I, I I wanted to get into more of the, the 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 technology side of things, but maybe that's the the next thing we talk about technology Absolutely. and some of the other uh, things that you uh, you have going on other than than Buzz Buzz Homes. Why, why, don't, you you us, other, why don't you other give other
2: us? you give us? Yeah, give us uh, give, on your on your way. What what would you say in twenty are twenty? most excited for BuzzBuzz Buzz Homes? Is there a new product, a new idea you have? Have. Is it in the, the AI or the
0: virtual reality space, or is it something totally, completely different? Maybe we haven't even heard about yeah, before. I think it really, again, comes down to data quality. And I'm really excited that we're constantly coming up with new methods to ensure that we have the highest quality data. We're going to be launching into a lot more U.S. markets um, with just incredible data quality. Um, we're, we're testing out a bunch of different formulas in, in, on how we can actually go about that. Um, so I'm really excited about our, our data play over the next year. Any ex- any
2: uh, plans for expansion outside of Canada or the United States? I'm always
0: planning it. Uh, you know, I, I can. I, I can see we see actually that wheels turning. Yeah, we, we, you know, for a while this was early on. We were the largest listing of new residential homes in Israel. Um, this was actually before Google maps was in Israel, um, due to security concerns. So we actually (laughs) had everything just mapped on nothing. Like it was, it it was more of a test bed for us on, on how we expand to other countries. Um, so we used Israel and, and yeah, we were the largest listing of new residential construction in Israel, um, without a map or with, so it it was again, more of a test than anything else. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, we're constantly working on that, but getting high quality information is really hard. And Canada's large, U.S. is ten times as large. We're focusing not on entering new markets right now overseas, but we're really focused on U.S. expansion. Cool. So where awesome. where
1: can people find you, Matt, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to uh, um,
0: you know have a little chat? Yeah, you can find me anywhere. Okay. you've got uh, for BuzzBuzz Buzz Home. You've got at BuzzBuzz Buzz Home okay. for, uh, if you're in Toronto, it's at BBH GTA. Um, If you're on the West coast, it's BBH West. Uh, Me personally, I'm at I Slutsky on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, pretty much anywhere you can find me. It's at at I Slutsky. Um, Looking back, 15 years ago. I probably wouldn't have used that handle, Uh, but But I'm stuck with it now. It's part of my brand. (laughs) I love it. Or drop me an email, Matthew at BuzzBuzzHome. And I'm always happy to chat with anyone or debate with anyone.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you uh, making the time to come and uh, share your knowledge, your wealth of knowledge with uh, not only us, but all of our listeners. So uh, we're looking forward to maybe having you on once we get uh, up and running. And I know you have a podcast too, if
0: you want to shout that out. Yeah, so our podcast is- uh, Our podcast is Urbanize This with our uh, Memorian um, and it deals with today's urban issue. So we kind of look at the urban issues that's happening in real time and we connect with kind of the highest profile person that we can to talk about that issue and explain that issue. Awesome. Well, great.
1: thank you for listening to Toronto Wonder Construction. And thanks again for Cameron Stevens for uh, supporting the podcast. And uh, and we, we won't let you cut connect with, uh, with, with, with Steve. But uh, if you want to grab me at Ben Myers 2-9 at Bullpen Consult. So uh, we will catch you next time. I tweet once a quarter, so don't follow me. <laughs> at
2: the One Stevie C if you want to, though. No, no, Take no, care. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Talk to you later. See what? you next time, guys.
0: Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate.